Continuing on in verse 11, now he's addressing them. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. May God the Father and the Lord, okay, notice it speaks of both. Jesus is the eternal Father. Jesus is the Spirit of God. Remember he told the apostles, I'm with you and I will be in you. He said, I'll send the Spirit of truth. That's him, okay? Spirit of the Father also. So the Godhead, we call him. A lot of people like to use the word Trinity. Trinity implies triplets. So I don't think it's a very good word often, but we have a hard time explaining. They're not three separate individuals, but there are three personalities or three persons to some degree. It's never explained to us. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit were in the beginning. But they seem to deal with each other. But they're never called three gods. But they're spoken of in the text of Scripture as being in the plural. Let us make man. He's speaking of that. So again, some things are told us, but are not explained because it's beyond our comprehension, okay? So look at John, we'll spend a little time there. John 14, we're going to read several verses there. 14, 13 and 14. And whatsoever you ask in my name, I will do it. Isn't that interesting? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. In other scriptures, it said, we ask the Father in Jesus' name. See, if you understand the context, he is the everlasting Father. See, he is such one with him. That's why he kept saying, I and the Father are one, as far as you understood. And so when they wanted to see Jesus, his Father, sitting on the throne, of course, Jesus was confined to the human body at that time. But as the Son of God, as the Word of God, he was indwelled that way. And he said what? He said, what do you want to see him? Have I been with you so long and you don't know me? He's saying that I am the Father. See, he's claiming the unity with the Godhead. Now, his human body and personality, it was different. But as far as we understand, most everything that Jesus did, other than a few exceptions, he did as a man yielded to the Holy Spirit. That's why he was baptized. If he did everything as God, he didn't need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But he was a teacher, a prophet, a servant to fulfill man's role as representative before God. So he says, I will do it, whatever you ask me. That's why you find in the epistles, sometimes they address the Father, and sometimes they address Christ, the Son. It's interchangeable. Sometimes they baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Sometimes they baptize in the name of Jesus because he includes them. So people get haggling over silly things sometimes that often they can't really explain. And that's why Paul said, don't be carried away with these things. Some things is not meant for you. They're just stated. The Bible says that God created the world out of nothing. Well. You can analyze it all you want. But he's saying, no matter what the scientists say, there was nothing 
in the natural universe, and then he spoke, and something came out of the nothing. Okay? Well, they can argue for thousands of years trying to figure this out. They're not going to. Okay? And so what else does he say? If you ask me, okay, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so a lot of people, when they're praying to the Father in the name of Jesus, they're praying to the Godhead. He's one. He is the everlasting Father, okay? So we can see that their oneness is totally different than what we can really understand. Okay, now look at verse, the same chapter, 17 and 18. He said, I'm going to send you the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither knows him, but you know him. I'm going to send him. And who is he? It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Uh-huh. And what does he make? It? He makes it very plain. He dwells with you. He's talked about himself. The spirit of truth is in me, the spirit of the Father. It's confined in me as a body now. But when I'm glorified, return to the full use of the Godhead, he says, I will be in you. So Christ is saying, Jesus is saying, I will be in you. So when we read of Christ in the epistles, it's speaking more of God himself. Because Jesus cannot be in you. He had a body. His body was confined to a location. There's many things he said he couldn't do. There are many things he said he didn't know. That that was when the Father chose not to reveal to him. He didn't know when the Son of Man, when he would return while he was on earth. He knows now. He's joined back his glory. His full use of God here is returned. And so when he indwells a person, it's the Spirit of Christ, okay? It's the Spirit of the Father, okay? And so he says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. How? In you. That's what it means. He joins himself in us, okay? Look at verse 23. And Jesus answered and said unto him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Okay, that's plain. He don't talk about sentimentality. He don't talk about affection. He don't talk about moods. He says what? If you keep my word, then you love me. If you don't keep his word, he ain't interested in the other stuff. Affection, moods, they have their place. But that's not the foundation. You can end up in hell with all the affection and love toward God if you don't obey him and follow him, okay? And he says what? If you keep my word, my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home. How will we do it? By the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Christ in you. See, I, it's the, my divine nature I will enter you. For I am one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. They don't act differently, okay? So as we go on, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one God, okay? And everything that they do is in unity. One more scripture I wanted to read. I forgot. First Corinthians comes to ministries and the gifts of the Spirit. Look at chapter 12, verse 4 through 6. 
Now, there are diversities, different kinds of gifts, but it's the same Holy Spirit that's working them, okay? There are differences of ministries, but it's the same Lord Jesus Christ, okay? And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God, the Father, who works all in all. So you see, in any ministry, any gift that a Christian has, the Godhead is there. They don't work separately. They work in complete union. That is the Godhead, okay? And verse 12, not only do we pray the Father and Jesus direct our way to you, which they wanted to do, verse 12 says, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. And how did he do that? By the Holy Spirit, Christ in them too. And for all the people, you'll have love for one another, but you'll have love for other people, goodwill toward them, just as we also do for you. We came to you as sinners and heathen. We came out of the love of God and the love to want you to be converted to him. As the scripture says, do good to all men, especially to them of the household of faith. They're family. They're under the covenant. But even God is good to the unthankful and the evil. He does the exact things. How is he good? He doesn't immediately judge. He stores up wrath for their whole life until they die or cut off. He can immediately judge people when they sin. We within his justice. But he doesn't. So his goodwill and long-suffering he has great long-suffering, but he's not overlooking justice. He can't. He is the just and holy one. He sees all, good and bad. It says the eyes of the Lord run through the earth, beholding good and evil. Nothing does he misses. The Bible says he made all the stars, and he can name them, and he says that not one of them is missing. So he's talking about the all knowledge of God, the knowing everything and being everywhere, that nothing's missed with him. That's how come he can bring everyone into perfect judgment, okay? But he's enduring and putting up with the wicked. And Paul talked about in the first chapters of Romans, he was telling the Jews who were not faithful to God, you're stubborn and willful heart, you're storing up wrath, for the day of judgment. It means you're not getting away with it. And he says, don't you know that this long suffering of God is meant to lead you to repentance? That he's putting up with this, giving you space to deal with it. But they were so wicked sometime, he did cut some of them off in this life. But most of the time, he lets people live out their life by the laws of nature. He doesn't interfere if they're not in covenant, it's like the 18 people on the tower, it collapsed and killed them all. And Jesus said, do you suppose uh, they were more wicked than anybody else? He said, you shall likewise perish if you don't repent. It means you're subject to the laws of this world. You're subject to gravity. You're subject to certain diseases and physical. And he doesn't interfere unless prayer, or he has particular reason. So he lets people die in car wrecks. And many times it's not his will. 
He's not for and against it. But because they're not in covenant, they live through this. So he said, these people that were killed in the tower, those people that came down in the two towers, they weren't no more wicked than anybody else. There may have been Christians in there. If God says it's the time, I'll take them. You don't miss anything, okay? So when people thought they had a bad death, they must have been excessively wicked people. But we know some excessively wicked people that died in their bed. Stalin was responsible for millions and millions of deaths. Hitler, Hitler killed himself in the last hours, but he didn't have a horrible death. Mao, who was responsible for 60 million deaths, he didn't have a tragedy in. See, God can use the wicked, too, to punish the nations. He can do this. When Israel backslid, he would send the enemy against them. And then when they turned back to the Lord, he'd punish the enemy. That's his right. So he can use the devil and wickedness when it suits his purpose. In the end, when the Antichrist comes, he's going to send. And it doesn't matter whether it's direct will or permissive will. All scripture, even good and evil, often in the Old Testament, is applied to God because it has to be by his permission. It's not his will that any perish, but most are perishing. So his will's not being done. But his permissive will is allowing it. But he'd rather have had him saved. So he's given credit. Everything's under him. He raises nations up and he lowers them. Some he punishes. He has the right to do this, okay? So we're seeing that when bad things happen to good people, it's not always the devil. Sometimes they're being tested. And when Job talks about the people, wicked people's way being smooth, and even Jesus said, beware when they speak well of you, because they did the same thing with the false prophets. But when the end came, the few scriptures of God laughing is when he catches the excessively wicked at the end, and when they are terrorized of dying, it said he will mock their fear and their calamity. There's no repentance, and he mocks them because they destroyed the righteous and opposed his people. But he let them go on. The rich man in hell, remember, he feasted every day and lived wonderfully and had abundance and had to build places to store it more, and yet a poor righteous man would have nothing, sat outside his property hoping to get something to eat, and obviously he didn't give him anything. And he opened his eyes in hell. And the righteous poor man, it says the angels took him to paradise. And he began to see, but nobody interfered with his life. And he said, I'll go back and warn my six or seven brothers not to come here. And Abraham says, they have the law and Moses and the prophets. And he, oh, they won't believe it unless someone raised from the dead. And he says, they'll not believe. If they don't believe the law and the prophets, they will not believe him or a person that's raised from the dead. And that was true. The Pharisees started rejecting the law and the prophets and adding all their traditions and they could not receive Jesus. See, John the Baptist prepared and laid the way, and they came to Jesus. If he hadn't have been called or anybody, Jesus may have had to stay around seven or eight years to do certain things. 
but he paved the way. He preached repentance. He said, clean yourself up for the Lord is coming. And they did. But the arrogant and the teachers, the scribes, they didn't. Jesus told them, you'll never understand. You'll die in your sins because you don't believe who I am. Why don't you? Because you don't believe the scripture. He said, search the scriptures. They speak of me. Well, they weren't given understanding because of their wickedness. Okay? So God's spirit, Christ in them, causes them to increase in knowledge and grace and to love uh, not only the Christian, but those of the world uh, have goodwill. See, God has goodwill. That's the love he has for everyone. But he doesn't have a covenant love. Though he loves them at goodwill, most of them will end up in hell because they will not come. So he lo- that's the kind of love that is unconditional, that God basically has goodwill. But even that can be cut off from excessively wicked people. The scripture says he despises the wicked soul. Again, he said he mocks them. See, that's the extreme cases. But he's long-suffering and patient toward most people. He puts up with a lot. For it's not his will that any perish. He has goodwill. The word is benevolence. He's good toward the evil and the unthankful. He doesn't judge them. But when he does, it's going to be horrendous. And most of the judgments are not only because they sin against God, because they abused his people. His wrath's going to be poured out because of that, okay? So we want to come to you, and again, that you'll be increased in spiritual maturity and knowledge at 13, so that he may establish your hearts without blame. And see, Paul comes to establish them in the faith and sound teaching, but now he's talking about your personal life. He wants you to understand you must be in holiness before God. If Christ is in you, he's the righteous one. You partake of his righteousness. Like some people say, righteousness is imparted, but in a practical sense, until you yield to it, it's no no holiness. They're very close. So many people claim they're the righteousness of God, they're seated with Christ, and they're living in sin. That's a lie. And then the scripture clarifies, until that righteousness works out, works out, and is in practical measure, becomes holiness, it's no good. And as we'll see later and have before, without holiness, no man sees the Lord. So if that righteousness doesn't produce holiness, it's passive. It's passive grace. It's mental ascent grace. It's accepting something that don't work. Okay, So people are going to say, Lord, Lord, but it don't work. They're not in the vine. They cannot produce spiritual things. But they say, Lord, Lord. They say, I'm a Christian and I love God. Mm -hmm. But Christ denies them and he denies their lifestyle. He says, you're workers of lawlessness. See, you didn't submit to the law of God and Christ. You lived your own life, and you lived for the devil. That's what he's talking about, if you do that. So before God the Father, see, he's the one. If he doesn't see the fruit coming out, 
in the Christian's life. It's the father, Jesus said, will cut the branches off. He says, he'll cut them off. But we want to be in holiness for the coming of the Lord with his people. Why at the coming of the Lord do we want to be holy? Well, we've gone through that so many times. Okay, let's go again. First John, look at 2.28. Now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Confidence may have faith. If you're not in the spirit, if you're walking and living in the flesh, and you're backsliding, and you become excessively carnal, when the Lord comes, you're not going. I know a lot of false teachers say, if you're born again, you'll go. And many people are looking for him to come because they're deceived. But he's only coming for those who are in holiness, who are walking in the spirit. And they should have no fear of his coming. Be ashamed means to be disappointed. So a multitude, that's who I believe are going to come out of the Great Tribulation, is masses of Christian, professing Christians, and some Christians that go back and forth and are double-minded, and they don't follow the Lord, and they lose their walk, but they still think that they're going to find out that day when they don't go where they stand. And they're going to have to give their life and die under that dispensation to prove their loyalty. If a person is overcoming now, he don't have to worry about it then. If he's taking up the cross now, he won't have to prove anything later, okay? So that's what he says. Then 1 John 3, verse 2 and 3, Beloved, now are we the children of God, if we are in him, if we are living righteously. That's what he's talking about. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. When we put on immortality, we're going to be like angels. And we're going to be beings that are totally uncomprehensible now. We're going to know God as he wants us to know him and as he knows us. That's what the scripture says. And we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Okay? The face of God. All the angels... Behold the face of the Father all the time. No matter what they're doing, they have full revelation. It's not they have to stare at the throne and, and look at someone sitting there. He's everywhere. Angels are roaming about, doing lots of work. But they're always aware. They have the full presence of God. As Christians who are filled with the Spirit experience at times, okay? And everyone who has this hope of his returning purifies himself just as he is pure. Because he knows if he's not walking in the spirit and living and is not going, he's going to be like the foolish, five foolish virgins. And I believe there's going to be many multitudes like that. They have some Christianity. Some have known the Lord. They're just not following him. They've been taught. They've been born again. And they've regressed but then they're going to prove their loyalty by being martyrs during the tribulation period, okay? Thus, we are living and walking in the Spirit. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15, read it often, I do. 
pursue peace with all men. We're not to be arguing and rioting and causing trouble in the world. We're to be wholly harmless and defiled. We're not to get involved in much of the world. Paul said, God judges those of the world. We're dealing with those inside the body of Christ, the church. Yeah, if they lived like the world, the early church put them out. They didn't put up with this. That's why most of the churches are false today, okay? And they're run by false ministers. So he says, pursue peace with all men and holiness. You have to pursue holiness, for without which you will not see the Lord. So when he comes or when you die, you'll not see the Lord if you do not walk in holiness and practical righteousness. See, And that's why Paul said, if you practice all these evil things, you'll not inherit heaven. But if you practice righteousness, which is holiness worked out, you'll see the Lord when he comes. And you can look diligently. He said, now look diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Now, you don't hear that about the once saved, always saved people, do you? You don't hear that about the greasy grace teachers, do you? And there's a multitude of them. So he's saying you can fall short of God's grace and the verse before, and you will not see the Lord. If you're not walking in holiness, if you're not obeying the Lord and being led of the Spirit, you will fall short of grace. It won't work anymore. It will not help you. And remember, that's why Paul said to the newborn disciples, believer, he said, we must continue in the grace of God. Okay? Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and many be defiled. Uh So we can't get into the wickedness of the world and the malice and the unforgiveness and foolish stuff causing conflict. Paul said, mind your own business. That's what he said. He said, be concerned with your own business and then with the body of Christ. Authorities, ministers, they have to instruct and reproof and correct at times. But he said, as far as the world, he said, God judges them when he's ready. We're not to be too involved. Be more involved with the body of Christ who are real Christians. But if you get into these things, then a root of bitterness will come into you and many will be defiled by this bitterness. And then when the Lord comes, you'll be short of grace and you'll be ashamed at his coming and you won't see the Lord. So that's what he's talking about. Let's go ahead and close now at the end of the chapter. Give us wisdom and understanding and give us practical application that we can follow the Lord, uh, be instructed by his spirit and do what he desires for us to do in whatever lot he has placed us. In Jesus' name, amen.